Welcome to the Experts Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of what it really means to be in the media. Featuring interviews with media stable experts and some of Australia's prominent media. We'll break down some of the myths, the fears, the skills and the knowledge needed to succeed in the media. The Experts Podcast is for the business owner, communicator, PR professional, leader of industry or anyone looking to develop their profile to be a recognised expert. The Experts Podcast is powered by Media Stable. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Experts Podcast. Hello, Carmen Braidwood. Hi, Nick Hayes. Good to be here. Good to be here. In fact, we've got someone quite special. So we've got someone on the Sydney, on the Sydney side here today. Yes. And it happens to be also her birthday. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So In the you know world what? Of the podcast. And she couldn't think of anything better than yeah. to come on to the Experts Podcast and talk to us about media, media training. But before I talk about who we've got. I mean, we've just got a, just a little bit of detail around her. Okay. Um, she's a pretty big deal, okay? Yep. Probably one of the most elite media trainers on, in Sydney and on the East Coast. So oh, I'm going big there. the Rocky music. A podcaster herself. Yes. Uh, the politics of everything and a very good one. So I'm a little nervous. I always get nervous when I talk to another podcaster. Okay. And you feel the pressure, do you? Yep. <laughs> and she's been a friend of Media Stable and uh, mine for a long, long time. And her name is Amber Danes from Bespoke Co. Well Hello, done, Amber. Hey, welcome to me. And thank you so much for making my birthday extra special today. <laughs> well, well, did you get the day off today or did you um, – are you in work? Are you – do, do, do people oh, do that a bit anymore? of everything. No, a little bit of everything, I think, today. Might might clock off a bit early and uh, maybe uh, head down to the beach and yeah. enjoy a couple of glasses of wine. I think that would be a nice end to my day. That sounds good. In fact, I think that's in, in my destiny as well, and I'll, I'll dedicate one of them to you. <laughs> Amber, we are going to talk media training. You have been um, in the game for quite a period of time, and we won't tell everyone what your birthday is today. Oh. We won't sort of age you, but you have... Have been Amber. a part of a part of the media landscape for a long time as a journalist first, and then obviously a trainer. Um, what's that been like? Uh, how have you? How did you like that sort of transition from journalist to a, to, to a media trainer uh, over the years? Is it something that uh, you just naturally fell into, or was it a little uh, a bit of a challenge? It's such a long time ago. I'm actually casting my mind back, but I do distinctly remember the reason I got into public relations and other communications after journalism is because I came back from overseas and I'd had this amazing experience of working in Hong Kong and London and Paris as a correspondent. And I got back to Australia, you know, around 20 years ago and thought, what am I going to do? Just wait for that editor at my old publication to retire 20 years time and just yeah. kind of keep plugging away and, and circle back to where I started. So I think for me, I thought I had to keep moving. I did find it difficult because I think anyone who's been a journalist who suddenly is being, you know, on the other side of the fence, the dark side, as we call it in uh, journalism land, <laughs> I did think, oh my goodness, I actually have to ring up journalists and do what, you know, PRs used to do for me. So I always... <laughs> Knew that I'd have a bit of a challenge on my hands, but to be honest, I can see the beautiful marriage between what, what PRs and good publicists do and also what great journalists do. So in some ways, 
it all kind of comes together, but it definitely wasn't an easy transition at the time. Oh, you've, you've hit, a, hit the nail on the head. It's kind of like, and it is, people do say this, they say the dark side. They will say, <laughs> oh, you've gone to the dark side, you've gone client side, ah, ma. You know, did you, did you make yourself acutely aware then of the things that used to annoy you about PRs when you went into that space? <laughs> Absolutely. Look, but I, when I started my communications career post-journalism, we were still get, get setting up faxes. That's that's how long ago that was. And I used to hate just getting blanket media releases where, you know, I covered the business sector, for example, when I was a journalist. And, you know, I get, you know, articles about entrepreneurs in the beauty space. And look, they, I'd have to make a massive leap to try and make it work because it wouldn't be about their business side. It'd be like they've got a new product. And I think you've really got to know your audience and target who you're communicating to, including within the communication space, so between mm. journalists and between PRs. These days, we're, we're calling on people like yourself for a few different reasons. One of those is ESG, and the other is reputation management. Can you talk to us about, first of all, ESG? Because for some people, that is still an unknown space. But Isn't in that co- what you just put in Chinese food? Yeah, nah. <laughs> No, 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 in the no, corporate no. space, oh, it's pretty important. Nick. Oh, that's terrible. I know you know better. I know. And, and look, ESG is a, a, a very big tagline right now. It's mm. very, very popular. So what, what are you doing in this space, Amber? So I've actually, for my students, I've decided to go back and study part-time. So I'm actually doing a master's in environmental business management sustainability oh. very, very slowly. I decided during the pandemic to go back and study because I'd have all this spare time when I wasn't <laughs> homeschooling and doing media training online. And uh, I'm actually loving it. I don't have a science background, but what it's actually showing me is that clients really need to understand the communication risks and the benefits when it comes to environmental, social and governance issues. And of course, sustainability has become a little bit of a buzzword at the moment. And if you've been keeping up with the news cycle, you know, the regulator has come down hard quite recently on some big name businesses sure. who have in fact been greenwashing. So I think the opportunity really there is to be aware of it, mm-hmm. to understand what you're doing in that space that's relevant, but also being really honest and transparent about where you might fall short and what you need to improve on with all your communications. I there, love that. There's a PR firm even here in Perth that's actually just called themselves ESG. Yeah, right. It's, it's super become, searchable. It has become such a, a popular and a driver for what is. But I mean, with anything that's popular or with anything that's uh, topical, mm. um, it, it is something that, I, again, it's reflection of society and what people are, are wanting to do or wanting to see more of. Because I think, you know, we're seeing it everywhere at the moment, uh, that greenwashing, as you referred to, Amber, there, that uh, businesses can't get away with that anymore. We're far more, in, we're far more aware of what they're up to. And I think that we've, we've, mm. we're, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to stamp it out. Absolutely. And I think, the opportunity is always there. I always say to all my clients, you know, you got to turn that negative into a positive. Okay, you might not have every box ticked, but what are you doing well and are you letting people know that? Because I think a lot of people just assume that, you know, stakeholders of all kinds are going to dive into their annual reports. The journalists are going to read all those white papers that they produce. The reality is everyone's very timeful, so, mm. so they've actually got to educate them in multiple platforms. So whether that be short videos, could be TikToks, it could be blog posts, it could be podcasts, but they've got to keep communicating because that's the only way we're going to become more informed and make decisions about whether we decide to work with those companies or in invest in them or maybe the employees even. And I really liked what you said in your previous answer about uh, 
through that communication, being very transparent, mm. what does that mean for you? Do, does that mean that if there is a negative, we, we communicate that to make sure we're on the front foot? How does that really look? I do say that to clients. I always say, particularly if you are in a reputational risk situation or walking through a crisis, you've got to go through the steps. You can't just brush over it and move the, the, the caravan on if you like. You mm. actually have to address what what you might fall short on or what you're improving on. There's always a way to tell that story, which is like, hey, we know we haven't done great about this, but we are working on it. And letting people know that you're not perfect. I think we question companies that say they're doing everything amazingly, that they have no zero emissions, that they hire diversity across the board, you know, that their governance practices are perfect. I think we would question that because every business will have to go through some sort of transition or some issue and be willing to face up to what that looks like. And do you know, sometimes, I'm sorry, Nick, I know you're going to dive in, but you know, sometimes that kind of goes against the traditional media attitude or sensibility that, you know, it's like one little story or one, one topic, you know, and just kind of really go deep on that topic. What we're sort of saying now is that our audience is more sophisticated than before and they can accept a bit more detail and a bit more nuance to the things that they're getting from communications. Is that what you're finding is happening out there? Absolutely. And look, to quote some of the fabulous Brene Brown, it's about vulnerability. You've got to be able to say when you haven't done your best or when you fall short or accidents happen, you know, things, crises occur, things beyond your control, something's under your watch. I think a lot of times organisations, and you find this with media, they'll, they'll love to go to the no comment piece. And obviously in my media training, I train them how not to do that. But I also say silence breeds suspicion. Yeah. You need to allow people to analyse you and make up their own mind. And people value honesty, especially Australians. I think we live in a world where we know no one's perfect, but we always are proud of people when they actually have shown all their war wounds and actually gone through that, what could be a very difficult time, but allowed themselves to, to say, look, we're going to do better and here's how. I love the fact that you said a, a couple of minutes ago around that you used to hate seeing all the faxes come through and mm-hmm. uh, and you've just aged yourself beautifully there, Anne, because you're, oh, you're, now, my, you're now my vintage <laughs> as well. So well, I remember faxes in newsrooms. Yeah, I'm not that much younger than you guys. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> they would have been well on their way out. We were This was new tech then back in the day. But Amber... I'd love to hear from you from as a media trainer and and I know that you've trained from the highest corporate level uh, down to small business micro business owners what's been the transition of media training over the years because uh, I would imagine back in those fax days when you referred to that there was less uh, inclination from a business uh, leader CEO MD to get out from behind the desk and address the issues of the day. They were far more protected behind there. They were protected species almost to what we're seeing now is even the audience demanding that the CEO and MD stand up, be forthright, be upfront and tell us what's going on. Have you seen that transition? Is that what you've experienced? In the past sort of 12 years years or so that I've been a sort of dedicated media trainer, I definitely have seen a transition. I think there's a couple of factors there. One is the rise of social media. There's no escaping. We are now in a world where everyone has a camera in their pocket. The smartphone has really changed the way in which we address news because we're not just waiting for the major news outlets to give us that news. We will jump online and we'll read other people's blogs, opinion pieces, social media clips, and we will take that as fact as well. So I think people have to be aware that they're always on. The other thing that's changed, I 
think, is that 24-7 news cycle. So back in the dark ages when I was a journalist, especially in newspapers, we would write those stories at then Fairfax newspapers and it would be yesterday's news when it came out. So 2 o'clock in the afternoon I had to file my story. It would then go out to print way out in Western Sydney and it would be landing at that news agency that next morning at 7am or 5am. And so what that meant was it was yesterday's news. You could sit on stuff for longer and I think now you've got to respond quickly and you've got to keep updating people in a way that you perhaps didn't have to a decade or so ago. It is amazing, isn't it, when you think about it, that a story that you filed away potentially at 2 o'clock in the afternoon wasn't getting seen until 6am, 7am the next day uh, because this these days it's write a few lines and hit send. And it's up there. Yeah, and I guess Absolutely. there's obvious risks, aren't there, for accuracy? You know, accuracy used to be such an important part of your job as a journo back in those earlier days. How do you think that corporates and bigger organisations are handling accuracy when they've got to get things out so quickly? It's interesting, Carmen, because I do actually think they've got an advantage now because everybody has a social media platform of some kind, whether that be LinkedIn or their website or whatever it might be, they can actually update statements and information much more regularly and you're not waiting for it. So particularly with print newspapers, if there was an error, you know, you'd have to wait till the next day to get some sort of really tiny retraction if you're lucky, if it was factually incorrect, not just because you didn't like your photo or your quote, (laughs) but just being, being kind of more in control of that because you have that power. Digital uh, news outlets can now update stories every hour. If you know, we all know that if we look at a newspaper this morning online and then we go to it in the evening, there's different updates, there's different breaking news all the time. So in some ways, it, it's actually a positive that people have the ability to change that story because mm. the information is more readily updatable. But that, again, the negative elements behind it as well because it it does get a lot opinion-based Mm. Uh, content running around there as well. And we know there's certain networks and certain media houses that thrive on that. Yeah. Uh, are, are we, is this, is this something there that we're seeing more of? Or, or was it back there when we were running around chasing the faxes, Amber? Was it there and that we just didn't notice it nearly as much? It's a good question because I, I don't know there's a really simple answer for that. I, I think people, audiences have probably become more informed as well. So we look at it obviously from our point of view as the um, carriers of news and the the communicators. But on the flip side, the audiences themselves are driving what they want to read and what they want to see, that echo chamber of commentary, if you like. So while the rise of, you know, much more single voice kind of stories is, is out there, I think people who really want to be informed will read more than one source, hopefully. And that's what I always try and educate my clients on too. Just because your preference is one particular news outlet, why don't you just go and have a look at what the other views are so that you have a more balanced approach to also understand how to communicate with your detractors because it's not just about preaching to the converted. It's about, you know, taking other people on that journey as well. And that's a skill, isn't it? Only um, in the last few hours here in Perth, I heard somebody, you know, with a quite a counter argument uh, appearing on local radio here to what you know you'd expect that radio station to accept and I felt like he did a brilliant job and it's just so important that if you are going to be the one who has a counter argument that you get a bit of training can you offer any tips to someone who's going to go out there and and counter the popular discourse what would they need to make sure they do 
definitely get media trained. That's number one because you want to make sure that you've got your your ideas really crystallised, that you've practised it out loud, that you've got robust messages that don't sound robotic but have storytelling, have statistics, have relevance to the audience you're trying to speak to. And that can only happen if you have set aside some time to prepare. So a lot of people will be like, but I speak about this all the time with my board or with my staff. I'm, you know, I'm, I'll just wing it. Mm-hmm. And we all know that the risk of that is too high when you're talking particularly live radio or live TV. You only get really one bite of the cherry. And also, too, the way that you communicate. And I think you just yeah. named, you just rolled off quite a few of the little tips and hints to deal with any particular uh, engagement. But um, understanding audience at the other end. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated with media training because I, I do a little bit of it myself, but I'm, you know, I'm not that, you know, 25-year veteran journalist. I, mm. I've only done bits and bobs. But what I have seen and what I've seen go on is the the idea of actually putting together uh, – oh, God, I've lost my train of thought because of that uh, phone call coming through. <laughs> Very important one, Amber. Wonders of technology. There's a little bit of media training. Turn off your f- other phone that's, uh, that's coming <laughs> oh, through. Oh, absolutely. Or hand it to someone else. That's what I say to people. I say, you never send a prime minister with a phone vibrating in his hands. He's given that to his media minder. But the point, I, the point <laughs> I'm making here is that, you know, being able to communicate to an audience mm. and understand and know. You can say all the right things. You yeah. can stick to message. But if you're not communicating with an audience at mind, and I think that's where media training yeah. is at its best, when you understand and know who you're actually talking to. Yeah. It's not just what you're saying. It's who you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Audience is key. And when people get nervous, it's the same with keynote speaking, I say, if you think about it, it's not about you. It's about the value you're bringing up to the ideas or your, your communication to the audience. It changes that headspace that everyone is just trying to criticise you or have you, you know, have the journalist out to get you. I always get that commentary from people that are maybe not as familiar with how the media at the end of the day want a great story, but they have that code of ethics that drives everything that they do and they don't want you to fail. They don't want you to do badly. We want a great interview. You know, We don't want it to be like pulling blood from a stone. We need it to sound as interesting as possible for our audience. I think that is a, a really big uh, a, a, a big awareness factor there for a lot of people that when they are engaging media that they're not being thrown under the bus. Yeah. They're not being attacked or I know we all get nervous. We start thinking other things and we don't want to sort of mess up in front of our colleagues or in front of uh, other people within the industry. Mm. But you know, knowing that you're not going to be completely attacked and can, you know, under under fire is is such a big thing. Yeah, to, we're to not know trying to because, catch you out. Well, because the media just wants a good story, and mm-hmm. it's not about the aha moment. It's more about how am I educating, entertaining, or informing my audience, and it sounds good. Yeah, and you've got to you've, uh, with a bit of training. It's just understanding what's expected of you. Yeah, it's, it's avoiding the turnoffs, isn't it, Amber? Absolutely. And I always say to people, it's actually fun. People look at me when they come into my media training sessions and go, oh, is this going to be traumatic? My friend did media training with somebody else and it was traumatic. I said, no, it's going to be empowering. It's going to be fun. And I want you to at least be able to feel robust when you go out to media but it's definitely it shouldn't be traumatic if it's done well and the thing that people always say to me at the start of a media training session is i did this thing 20 years ago and they made me watch myself on screen and i've never done anything since is that the key pain point that that people think media training is that terrifying moment of seeing yourself on screen 
I think it's that, but I also think that sometimes if they do it in front of their peers, you know, if you get a small group together, it's it's always so this is really unnatural. You'd never have, you know, your CEO and your CFO sitting there watching you do this. You you are really you really are in a really pressure cooker situation, but I always try and say that and this is also the safe space to make mistakes and to work right. out your natural communication style and what's going to make you sound and look best. I think there might be a little bit of a sadistic nature in me when I do meet the people that are coming in to do the media training for the first time just to see their uh, – the first question I is, is, how are you feeling? Yeah. And How'd generally, you sleep last night? <laughs> generally, they are absolutely mortified about yeah. what's going to happen. But I love that what you just said there, Amber, is it is a lot of fun because what you are able to do is actually find out a little bit about yourself. Mm. Um, and when you refer to the CFO, CEO and MD in the room as well, yeah, but it's a bit of bonding. It's a bit of professional development it's a great and connection. leveller, isn't it? You know, if you're finding yourself challenged by it, you bet your CFO is going to be challenged by it. You bet even your CEO will be challenged by it. You know, you're all experiencing that same human ex- expression of fear or nervousness together. Yeah, it does bond you. So, Amber, could, this, could, could media training actually be a, a, a brand builder, a, a, what do you call it, a morale booster oh, for, for an organisation? And it's a little team building day. Team building day. What, 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 what do you reckon? We shouldn't call it media training. Absolutely. We should call it team building. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I don't do any fire walking or trust falls, I have to tell you. That was probably stuck in the 2000s. But I definitely encourage people to support each other and give each other feedback on the session. And it's amazing to see... Sometimes the person who's, you know, hierarchically the most junior in a corporate will often be the best media performer because they haven't had the weight of the world on their shoulders. They're coming in fresh. And I love that. And I think sometimes the CEO goes, oh, wow, I actually could learn something because there's obviously in in an office all those dynamics which go on on a day-to-day basis. But you're taking people out of that comfort zone and putting them in something together. I love that because they're not carrying the burdens or even the scars of past performances. They're actually fresh and new, and you know it's like the you know the words from babes, you know they are really the natural pulse or, or of any organisation because they they just don't have all those other pressures that are on them. They don't have all those hang ups. I often say we're probably not going to need you know me the confidence on camera coach or the you know the the reputation manager even for some of these younger younger generation because they are sitting in this very authentic trusting space when it comes to the new media to digital media yeah. you know they they can sniff out a fake so they sort of know that already and therefore when they create their own content they're hardly thinking twice about it these younger people what is it that we can learn from them do you reckon amber it's hard because we always want to have these generational wars and I'm always very mindful of how easy it is to go into that. But I, I do think for all their follies, and I have, I have teenagers, so there you go, but I, I do think they are very comfortable with being able to communicate digitally and I think there's something to be said for that because that is the now and it's the future and it's not going away. So that whether that be doing podcasts or making short videos or communicating through blogs that are very instantly updated, I think that's that's where we're at and you have to learn to be comfortable with it to succeed. Oh, my yeah. son's got his own YouTube channel with almost a thousand followers. He's oh gonna be gosh. making money shortly. He will. Off the off the algorithm and yeah. oh look it's just it's they are naturally in their environment because what is it? We, you know, Amber, you and I, we, we work with fax machines. I love the fact we've mentioned fax machines <laughs> nine times in a podcast. But we well, did more t- times than I've thought about a fax in about a decade. So oh, there you go, Nick. Well, yes, no one will give a fax anyway. But uh, <laughs> you know what? 
but this, they've been brought up with phones. The phones yeah. have been never too far away from them. They knew how to turn them on before they knew how to pour their own milk. Um, yeah. And it's also, it's a it's a much more accepting place than I think our, our personal social discourse has been for the last 20 years. You know, my, my experience of the media has been a... a, a a real pursuit of perfection, you know, this kind of, you know, you've got to look a certain way, you've got to sound a certain mm. way. I was told to lower my voice from the minute I entered the industry. You know, so no wonder the people who grew up watching that stuff that we've been making for the yep. last 20 years think that they need to be skinny and not too old and use a deeper voice and not make mistakes. You know, it's actually our fault, the broadcasters who have set this standard, correct, and and you know we don't actually need that from you if you're the person creating content these days. In fact, we want the opposite. Absolutely, we're more forgiving. I think you're right. I'm still having reflections. I had a short stint in TV and being shown BBC videos of your know, news readers and thinking, mm. but I have an Australian accent. I can never sound like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and the expectation was there that, you know, and it, I still hear it and I hear it from people who even train young people in the broadcasting industry. They are getting told to change how they sound well, still. It, it, interesting, even when I was uh, growing up, it's like the, the, the bloke that smoked a packet of cigarettes with the deep yeah. you know, voice, with the great radio voice was like, God, do I have to smoke a pack of cigarettes a, a, a day to, to get in a radio? Yeah, if you can't do that, go and stand on a hill and scream until your throat bleeds. That was the advice or, I got or in go radio onto a reality school. TV show and then next thing you know, you've got every, uh, yeah, <laughs> here we go. Hey, Amber, we've only got about five or six minutes left. I, I would love to hear from you what are the trends, what are, what are people looking for in media training today? And I love the fact that you started off mentioning before the fact that, you know, it is fun. Um, it will be the best thing. And I, I, I know and I've seen and I've seen Carms do her media training. They you can't get the smile off their faces. Um, what what is it? What are people looking for in media training today? And how often, how often should we be doing this? So it's not an overly prescriptive thing. I think it depends on what your goals are. So I think for some organisations that I work with, particularly corporates, they'll definitely get me to come in once a year just to refresh people, particularly if they've moved roles and they're wearing a different corporate hat because that messaging is quite different. So the difference between that and, say, an individual, a micro-business, an entrepreneur or an author, for example, is they are very much their own brand. So they don't have a media policy necessarily around what they're saying and how they're saying it. You know, certain organisations, I know you can't mention the CEO's name. You can't talk about remuneration. There's all this can't, can't, can't. Mm. You're a lot freer when you're individual. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's about knowing what your goals are. Look, if you really want to be on the Today Show, you're really going to have to up the ante and you're going to have to perform because we all know they won't call you back if you, if you kind of freeze on air or you don't give some great stories or you're not forthcoming and natural on, on particularly live TV. So I think mm. for most people, once a year is always good. The trends that I'm really seeing is people, because of COVID, we were forced to set up studios in our own homes. There's still a little bit of that hybrid activity. You, you know, for example, on the ABC, the drums, you'll see, you know, people in the in the studio, but you'll also have crosses still yeah. on large TV screens. And we all became much more comfortable with having a ring light, to having our eye contact being down the barrel of a camera, yeah. which is something that's very unnatural. Having a background that doesn't have all your old tax returns and old pot plants that are dying <laughs> behind you. That, but I always say to people, no fake backgrounds. You take away anything oh. from oh, today's conversation. Great tip. Great tip, no green screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know you're not in New York. It's okay. We don't need to see the the bridge behind you. So, yeah, being being very comfortable with setting that up, sounding good, 
and feeling like you can do that very easily because you have all the all the bits and pieces you need to press go. Well, at the last Meet the Media comes, and Amber, I know the both of you were at the last Meet the Media in Sydney, and uh, uh, Channel 7's chief of staff said no more. Yeah, he doesn't want him anymore, no more, does he? No more crosses like that. Because I, I suppose since COVID has sort of uh, dissipated, well, our concern for it has, yeah. um, that we are doing more back in studio or more cameras going out to, to location. Yeah, and I'll say he was really talking about the person who might be up the street in Sydney, you know, yeah. come to me in the studio if we ask you. Otherwise, it yeah, looks like exactly. you yeah. Yeah. And I say that to my clients, the ones that go, well, can't, you know, 702 Sydney, can I just do it from home? I said, you can, but why don't you go in and re- meet Richard Glover and go oh. and sit in that studio and have that experience? It'll sound better. They will film it. It'll, it'll, you'll create relationships that, you know, extra half an hour in the car will be well worth your time. Yeah. We just had Ellie on social on last week there, Amber, and talking about, you know, making content, making content. Don't just go and do the interview. Go and make more content around it. Take yeah. some photos. Get what did Ellie do for like 15 selfie. minutes after our, our interview? <laughs> she sat here and just took another 15 minutes of content. You know, there's just so many opportunities that can come from being in the studio with the broadcaster. And yeah, as the broadcaster who made the call, I only said the last podcast, I sometimes said, nah, they don't want to come in. They're not on. Nah. It's a bit rough. But I will say you've made a good point about the drum. You know, like a a show like the drum, opting to have people on in a virtual way means diversity. You're going to get more points of view. You're going to get people from different backgrounds, culturally and location-wise. they've done that very well. They've done that very well. They've invested in that. That looks very professional, the drum. I've got to say, that's probably Absolutely. the best, that's the best example we, I've seen. Absolutely. And I do think, like you say, it's because they'll have guests in the Northern Territory or they'll have people from different places as well. So it allows it allows diversity. If you're just having some Sydney-centric conversations, then obviously that's a, that's missing out for a national audience. Yeah. Amber, we're, we're, we're sort of coming to a close. I would love to have a chat to you about your podcast. Um now, it's the politics of everything. You do this. You deliver this weekly. I know this, uh, Carms, because You're I, on was, it. I was on it a couple of weeks ago. Loved it. Um, tell us, what, what's it like for you to, to do that each week and to deliver a, a podcast, the pressure of that to put out each week? But I guess the people you get to meet and talk to, amazing. I have to say it's the highlight of my week. It's it's now monetized. It wasn't early on. I did it for, for no money and it cost me money. When 2017 rolled around and I went, I need a podcast. I think ex-journalists always love having some sort of opportunity to curate news and content and speak to interesting people. And it's you're right. I have guests from all over the world. I feel like I picked the brains of some of the most brilliant people that I would never otherwise get an opportunity to. And they give me their time and they allow the audience to get, you know, access to information that perhaps they otherwise wouldn't. So I have to say, I love it and I really do. And it's, it's probably the best part of my week. And I've had around 4 million downloads, which is pretty cool. Whoa, but whoa. all that grew over time. I know at first it was like five. I don't know if you remember the early days of your podcast. And you're like, wow, that's great. Five yeah. people. Especially when you come from a journalism background where, you know, I had 100,000 people reading my story a day and then suddenly I have five. But I always say to people, you know, you've just got to build these things slowly but find something you're passionate about and, and just do it. Oh, and the holy grail. I don't think I've ever met anybody who hasn't asked me, how do you make money from a podcast? So you've managed to monetize it too. So. Have I not been paying you check? Absolutely. No. Oh, God. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> I'll have to adjust that. Hey, oh, but, but you know what I do love about your podcast and I've listened to a few – uh, over the time is that the 
you, you get in, you get nitty gritty. And I think that is that journalistic background in you that you sort of, you know, bring out and bring to life the subjects that you're talking to. Uh, it's great listening and it's because it can just about go everything. It's the politics of everything. I know. I haven't run out of anything yet. I can't believe it. And I think I thought that early on. I thought the politics of PR, how boring, or, yeah. you know, media, which is, I'd be very narrow. I thought, you know what, I didn't know if I had five episodes in me or 500, but I knew that I had to go broad. You were very broad. And, and yeah. in fact, if anything that we talk about, you know, and particularly from a media perspective, this is a media podcast, it's more, oh, God, we are sometimes limited, but there, there's abundance of experts and there's an abundance of media True. running around. So we've got another five or ten years in us yet, Carms. Oh, really? I don't know how we're going <laughs> to kick it on. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, and but love having you on the podcast. It's 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 been a treat, and I I'm looking forward to seeing you at the next Meet the Media because I know you love going to it. And and can I ask you a question, just, just off completely uh, without notice? The the Meet the Media's you've been to a few. You've actually spoken uh, at, at one. What what is it about the Meet the Media's that you enjoy? Do you find and as a media trainer get something new, or do you get anything from it? Oh, look, I just love sort of chatting to journalists and seeing what's ticking in a newsroom. I love, even when I have, do my media training sessions, I do the same thing. I ask my journalists to come in for role plays. You know, what's your favourite story of the week or what's making news beyond the obvious stuff like, you know, the pandemic or, you know, inflation figures. And I just love hearing people pitch and having the journalist's eyes light up and go, yep, that's the story, and actually seeing that come together. There's nothing like it because for all of us that have immersed in media, we understand it. It is a really opaque thing for lots of people, and I think the media does that very well. It demystifies what people often find very challenging. And I think what's also cool is that someone with your depth of background in the industry still learns or gains something from it. You know, for me, that was really cool just mm. to think, well, you can go annually and go, hey, there's, there's, there's new stuff here. There's, there's things have changed. We're getting an up-to-date look into the landscape as it is today. And that's something that is important when you're working on the, on the kind of periphery of the industry. It's like you've got to stay up-to-date with what's actually going on in journalists' minds. I totally agree, and I think that's the value you bring um, when you have those events. And I love them in person. Like, COVID was such a doozy for lots of us, but nothing like getting back in the room and actually having those conversations. Uh, I love it too. It's the in-person. It's the connection. It's the relationship. And I think that's what we we underestimate sometimes when it comes to that media engagement and and, and engaging, uh, communicating is that – it's two humans or multiple humans that you're communicating with, yeah. not with a screen. And uh, that's, uh, it's good to see that COVID side go away. Hey, Amber, if people want to get in contact with you, how do they do it? And by the way, everyone, jump onto Amber's website because there's mm. some really cool vids. There's oh, some I'm very cool now. media training vids on there. So it's just amberdanes.com. That's it. That's how you find me. So I am my own brand, even though I've got a company name. So it's very easy to find all my bits and pieces. And yes, there's some, there's some videos on there where I think I had a little bit more use on my side, but they've still got some great content in there. So definitely check those out. And Amber, I, I take it you're not selling your business anytime soon because uh, a bit difficult when it's your name. You can't really sell your name or can you? No, I can't sell my name and I love what I do. So I don't see myself uh, settling for, you know, any kind of payout anytime soon or retiring. Excellent. Well, that's the benefit to everyone that's out there. Go and get yourself some good media training. Yeah. It's, as Amber said, it's once a year. It's yeah. it's half a day. It's a day. It's go and do some uh, hour 
long courses. Do whatever you need to do. Stay up to date. But do one big thing. Do one big thing for us. Improve the way that you're doing it. And I tell you what, if you can just communicate better, business gets a lot better. Uh, Personally, it gets a lot better. Everything just improves. It's just, it's just like playing tennis, you know. Go get some tennis coaching. You can't, <laughs> you can't go and play Wimbledon without some tennis coaching. Oh, yeah. Anything <laughs> learned, you've got to keep the practice up. Like Good it. work. Amber, thanks for joining us on the Experts Podcast. Look, uh, we look forward to seeing you in Sydney again. Sounds great. Thanks, team. Well done. That was Amber Danes. And uh, another good one, Carms. Loved it. Yep. So uh, check out Amber. Media training, really, really important. I think you can see from the chat that we've just had is that it does, it brings together all those little things that you might be a little bit worried about, concerned about. You might feel that you're just not not valid or really, you know, right for it. Mm-hmm. Lose that, lose that, because it's it's you, the authentic person that we're after. Yeah, you'll be surprised how good you'll feel at the end of it. Give it a go. Good work. Well done. Well, I'll catch you next week when we talk to another expert or another media. See you then. You've been listening to The Experts Podcast, powered by Media Stable. If you'd like to get in contact with the team, head to mediastable.com.au.